This is episode 79 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus, mountains of Russia. I'm your co-host, Andrew. And I'm your co-host, Eli. And it is the dog days of summer here on Caucus Talk. I don't know about you, Andrew, but um, it's it's toasty where we are. It's been really toasty here, actually. Yeah, you're still in Pitygorsk, so that's... I like what's toasty there for you. Uh, it's been, if we're talking Fahrenheit, it's been let's, in the high nineties a lot in Celsius, uh, mid thirties. So close to a hundred, a, a lot the last month. Well, summertime's a time when a lot of people like to dig into their reading lists, you know, whether you're on the beach by the lake or Andrew sent pictures of his family, basically at a mud hole, you know, anything <laughs> will do. I guess you called it a pond. It was like a pond that you found somewhere. <laughs> Yes, but I did slather that black Caucasus mud on me there, so. Yeah, you, then you notice the do not swim sign on the way out, like toxic, <laughs> no. But uh, this is a special, this is an, a great episode coming up, a great interview, because we're not only going to be digging into some top book selections about the Caucasus that you can take during, you know, Add to your COVID reading list, your summer reading list, your whatever. But we are going to be interviewing one of our longtime champions of the podcast and of the caucuses, Ian Tuttle. Yes, that's right. And now I won't say Ian is a raving fan of caucus talk, but he's definitely a raving fan of the North Caucasus. Oh, I think he's a raving fan of caucus talk. I'm just going to, but we'll let him speak for himself when his time comes. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I, I want to say this now. If somebody, one of our listeners is a part of a book club, I would love to see one of these book recommendations make it its way into a book club Ooh. in the next year. That'd Consider cool. that a challenge. Yes. All right. Caucus Talk Book Club Challenge. All right. So, Eli, um, I'm going to start humming a song, and I want to see oh, if you can brother. if you can peg it. I think you'll nail it. But it's in a roundabout way. It's a theme for our kind of caucus talk news minute here. You ready? I'm ready. Keep keep that was really bad. Na, 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 is that the na, na, Yes, na, I Love Technology na, na, na. song from uh, Napoleon Dynamite? Ian, do you know this? Do you recognize this? The Streets of Philadelphia by Bruce Springsteen. Okay, Anybody? I got it. On the streets of Philadelphia. Yeah. There um, we go. Okay. Yeah, I, I totally know that song. I, I, okay. I didn't that right off the but yes yeah i'm yeah. not the best hummer no it well, was good hey, um what does that have to do with our podcast listen this just came to me today um you know we were all sheltered in place for multiple months and we have loved being able to get back on the streets of piatigorsk not philadelphia but piatigorsk <laughs> and uh i've noticed some things in the last month here uh that are totally normal in the caucasus and in Pitigor specifically, but the last month it like jumped out at me because we hadn't been on the streets for like three straight months, you know? All right. Uh, so the first, this was actually in Kislovodsk, but we'll call it uh, Piatigorsk. It was our first time in Kislovodsk after the quarantine ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
people from all over the region go there to the park uh, to go Gugliat, to take long walks. It's a beautiful area. And we were uh, walking there in the park, and uh, our two-year-old was pitching a fit because I wasn't letting him get in those, like, little cars that they you pay 100 rubles for to let the kid drive around. Right, so these which, are, like, kid-sized pink Jeeps and stuff. Yes, which right, he always right. does. Well, because he was pitching this fit, uh, it drew the attention of multiple people around oh, us. And that's toast. You're done. Yes. And, but one of them kept looking at us mm. and then it dawned on me, oh, they actually recognize us from somewhere. And <laughs> it was, it was a young mom, probably my wife's age with three kids and then an older lady. And the older lady just made a beeline for my wife and said, Christina, how are you guys doing? We, we thought that was you. Yes. Oh, yes. Hi. And I'm just stumped. I'm you? stumped. I cannot, I cannot figure out who it is. Well, when you're a celebrity um, like you are, Andrew, from Caucus Talk, you know, you get this <laughs> a lot, you know? At least no, you this was this was in Russian, mind you. These were local shoes. people. Okay. Um, and the whole time what was amazing was I thought Christy knew who they were because she played it off so well, but she had no idea. <laughs> oh, no. And it dawned on me halfway through the conversation, uh, we had when we visited you guys last year at Thanksgiving, we took the train from Minvodi to Mahachkala. Yeah. And in our train car, oh. there was another young Dagestani family, and it was them. And you saw and, them in Kislovodsk, and she recognized Christy. Yeah, it was like their nanny, basically their oh family's nanny gosh. who recognized us. Because they like their kids were playing in our bunks with our kids. And like we ended up, they were really nice. We talked to them Fun. probably two hours, but I was just like, "What are the odds?" This was a Dagestani family. They live in the lowlands of Dagestan, and they were in Kislovodsk like for a week vacation. That's amazing! And, isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, anyways, the Caucasus really is a small world. Like you can see yep. people really anywhere. And to be quite honest, Andrew, you're pretty easy to spot. I just, I mean, <laughs> that's true. I, I think you've mentioned this on the podcast before, but. Um, I remember Christy saying how she got in a conversation with a taxi driver. who's was like, oh, yeah, your husband. I know him. Yeah, he's good. He's, he loves his kids. And she's like, oh, you know him? He's like, no, no, I've never met him. But I've seen how he, I've seen how he walks with his kids. He's a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're known. You're known uh, quality. Appreciate that. The streets of, so, yeah. of Pity Delphia. Streets of Piatti Gorge. No, no, no. Oh. Okay, so that was the first. Okay. All right, and another is... Um, Pitigorsk uh, is kind of one of those cities on the edge of the Caucasus where people from like deeper in the Caucasus, they'll come to get away for a couple of days. It's relaxing here. Um, yeah, that, like there's beautiful nature here. Yeah. And we've just noticed whether it's Chechnya, Ingushetia, Ossetia, even some of the other republics, people will come here just for a break. Sure. But like, uh, so the other day I was walking home from work and I passed, uh, it was either three Chechen guys or three English guys. The, the reason I know that is a couple of reasons. Um, for one, I recognize their language. Uh-huh. Uh, kind well of done. the different sounds. And I realized, like, I haven't heard for months on the streets of Pitigorsk that language. Just the because languages, most people, yes. Most people have been home, you know? Right. Um, and then uh, they had, specific to those regions, some of those guys will wear, like, a prayer cap. Uh, I think it's called a Tibuteka. Ooh. Uh, yeah. 
And so, and then all three of them, of course, had the big beards. And did so, it, like, was there any red in any of those beards, or just beards? Because no, sometimes the, the Chechens straight, or English have right. have red beards. No, it was they, the black. They come from the, Irish men. The black beards, yeah. No, they don't. But um, no, it just usually that would be a totally normal thing in Petigorsk. Yeah. And because of the quarantine, like there hasn't been much interregion travel. Um, so that made me happy. Like people are getting back out again and cool. Able to so move, hearing different accents, about. different languages on the street. Yep. Yeah, and just seeing, like, yeah, they're definitely not from here. They're from okay. either Chechnya or Ingushetia. Anyways, it's good. To, things are kind of returning to normal here, and that's that's been really nice. So, yeah. So those are your All observations right. from the streets of streets Pittadelphia. Streets Hey, you know, I want to make one more announcement before we get into our um, much-anticipated interview here today, which is to our Patreon supporters, I want to thank you for your steadfast support. We've gotten like an incredible response and so much so that not only are we able to cover our overhead, but as I mentioned months ago when we started the Patreon campaign, we have upgraded some equipment. So I'm presently using with, yes, with great joy, a proper podcasting vocal microphone. And it is a beast. So it does look good. I think it sounds, um, Velvety and delicious. Not me so much, but the microphone. Anyway, what are the specs on that thing. You don't want me to go into it, really. You don't. But this is, um, <laughs> it's for those who do care about that. I've been using uh, what what are called small diaphragm um, condenser microphones, which are really good for instruments, not tailored for the voice. I've had to do a lot of work on the back end again. I mean, it's good. They're great. I like them. They're little Russian microphones that I already owned. Um, and so this one is a large diaphragm dynamic microphone. It's quieter. It's got a pop guard in it and it picks up more, uh, a, a bigger range. And it's just going to add a more professional sound to this and other projects. This also opens up the door for a lot more vocal work that we might be able to do through our partner organizations like Apricot. Anyway, Patreon supporters, I want to thank you because you've made this awesome. possible, and our um, we also were able to you know purchase our domain for another three years, so that's good. Hey, <laughs> hey, nobody, all right, ain't nobody, ain't nobody taking CaucusTalk.com from us. That's right, and they're lined up. Yeah, awesome. Well, hey, um, very happy to finally have on the show. This has been a long time coming. Welcome, Caucus Talk listeners, one of your very own, Ian Tuttle. Thanks, guys. How's it going? It's great, great man. man. First guest from Nebraska. Yep. Beautiful Bellevue, yes, Nebraska, man. That is right. And I tell you, it's not nearly as hot uh, here as it is over in Piatigorsk. It's uh, about uh, 78 degrees right now. We had a little rain, so it's humid. But it's not 100 degrees, so you can take it over there in Russia. But that's kind of unusual. I mean, it, it gets toasty out there in the it, plains. It really does. It? And one of, the, one of those things that I had to remind uh, Russian students over there when I studied was that it's kind of like Siberia over here. It's, it gets hot and it gets cold and it's yeah. flat <laughs> and you just kind of deal with it. All right. What um, people may not appreciate about Nebraska, it has a unique factoid about it. Maybe not unique, but um, I have a friend who was being recruited when he was going to college by University of Nebraska. And one of their selling points was Nebraska is three only three states away from both oceans. What? 
Maybe if you're going down the Gulf of Mexico, but I no, don't think no, it's... No, 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 to the Atlantic and the Pacific. You start with the Pacific. That one's easier, right? What's to the left of Nebraska? So you got to go through uh, Colorado and or Wyoming, depending on what route. Right. Uh, Nevada. California. California. Or, okay. Wyoming, right. Idaho, Washington. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to okay. the west. To the okay. east, check this out. To the east, you have Missouri. Right, Tennessee, yeah. which touches Tennessee, wow. which goes all the way to North Carolina or Virginia. Wow! And those touch the Atlantic, and they've got that is beans. insane. So, yeah, okay. so you can cross. There's only you could yeah. actually drive across the U.S. in seven, in seven states. states. You could probably. Yeah. That's probably as few as you could do it. <laughs> that so, is a great, great factoid, but yeah, not it is a selling point sheer for why factoid. you should attend. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the that University well, of Nebraska. <laughs> let, let me say this: I met him at college in Pennsylvania. So there's okay. that. <laughs> Well, that's, that's interesting wow. because having lived here for since 97, if I remember correctly, you know, you never think about that. I just think, oh, yeah, if I want to go down to Florida, it's 1,700 miles. It's a yeah. two-day drive, whatever, <laughs> you know, but just think about that. Yeah, three states in each direction. That's that's pretty cool. If, if you're counting by states, there you go. Yeah. Man. All right. Hey, well, uh, uh, Ian, you have a really interesting um, history with Russia, the North Caucasus, um, why don't you tell our listeners a little about who you are, kind of what your connection is to the region? Okay, I'll try to make a condensed uh, version because there's, there's a lot to talk about. Sure. Well, um, my, my first uh, encounter with the Circassian culture is actually watching the film Lawrence of Arabia starring Peter O'Toole. Huh. Uh, because he really? has that scene where he's he's talking to the um, the Turkish commander when he gets captured at the second yeah. part of the film, and mm. he says, you know, oh, are you have blue eyes? Are you Circassian? And he says, yes, Effendi. And so then I said to my dad, who who are Circassians? And my dad was starting to rudimentary explain since my dad loves the film and loves the region. So I got a a Arabic or Ottoman Empire variation of the Circassian wow. people for my dad, if you will. See, I so think then, I was asleep on that half of the film, but I'm going to go back and watch it because yeah, it's it's, worth- it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, it's a classic. It's definitely a wonderful classic. Um, so I, I, that was when I was young. That's that first connection. So then um, my parents had also met in the Soviet Union uh, in the 1980s. My dad was working for the Navy. My mom was working for Chase Manhattan Bank at the time. And so they lived in Russia, worked in Russia, met in Russia, and then they moved back to the States and got married. So a lot of my house, my parents' house anyway, is um, quite filled with Russian culture, like pock wow. boxes and samovars and all that kind of stuff. So they, did they meet in Moscow or do you know? They met in Moscow, yes. What are the odds of that? That's that's really rare in and of itself that two Americans oh, yeah. were working in Russia in the eighties. Okay, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty unique story for them. Um, so then when I went to college, uh, my advisor, uh, whose name is Dr. Elizabeth Fromgen, she got her dissertation in comparative Chechen politics, um, and she <laughs> had. Uh, studied a lot of the um, early uh, turbulent politics back in the 90s when the Soviet Union collapsed and Chechnya was starting to form its own government to become independent. And this was right before the first Chechen wow. War. So uh, she came over there and got some research done, and one of her books is called um, Babushkas, Burkas, and Bombs. Um, oh. and, talk, and talks about the politics of the region. Wow. Um, so she had convinced me to go to uh, Piatigorsk because my college at Hastings College in Hastings, Nebraska, has yeah. exchange program over there. And I was the first student since 2006 from our college to go. And it was quite a big thing uh, to kind of re- revamp the program. And so I went my junior year, huh. um, loved it so much upon graduating with my BA International Relations, went back for another year where I yeah. met 
Andrew uh, yes. there. Got our connection there personally. And yeah. um, I got to do a lot of fun stuff. I got to study Russian. I got to study North Caucasian culture. Uh, really fascinated me. And uh, one of the gentlemen who uh, went to Piedogorsk, his name is Albert Kotsov. He uh, had a small month-and-a-half-long exchange back in April of 2013 at Hastings, and that's where I got my personal connection to the Coxes was through him. Uh, mm -hmm. He came with a student, and they were um, trying to find a liaison who spoke Russian at the campus to help them adjust to American life and American student institutions. And uh, my advisor called me up and said, hey, Ian, you speak Russian? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, well, we got two Russian students coming. Would you mind being ambassador to college? And I said, yes, please, I'll do that. Cool. So I, I helped them adjust. Yeah. I helped them learn the, the ropes of the college. And uh, during one of the um, spring breaks, we came over to my parents' house in Omaha. And I showed them basically like Nebraskan culture slash Midwest culture. <laughs> and they really enjoyed it. What were some of the key elements to your <laughs> display of Nebraskan Midwest tell. culture? Yes. Oh, so um, we uh, we went to the uh, prairie a prairie museum called the Thur Prairie Museum in Grand Island, Nebraska, which is about a uh, two and a half hour drive west of Omaha. So wow. it's got a lot of frontiersmen, settler um, sod houses and right. tools and whatnot. So they got that taste of that part of American history. And then we went to Omaha. We had the restaurant culture here because Omaha per capita has the most restaurants of any major metropolitan area in the United States, which is a pretty <laughs> awesome factoid. Um, loved we, to eat. Uh, uh -huh. We loved, loved to eat. We went and saw a baseball game. Um, oh, we, cool. Went to um, the Museum of uh, Western Heritage called the Durham Western Heritage Museum, uh, which basically tells the story of how Nebraska and the West were settled, um, particularly during the um, 19th century. Uh, went to the Railroad Museum, so we'll get to see wow. stuff from the Union Pacific. So got a lot of cultural staples. Dude, they, I'd they like really to go on it. your tour. That sounds great. Yeah, should, come yeah, to Nebraska, the restaurant man. part. Ian, I want to I want to put your Nebraska expertise up against uh, Marnette Hoffer's uh, Southeast South Dakota expertise and put you guys in a ring and see who comes out on top. Man, when you get she awesome. and I together in the same room, it's like we're kidding the candy store because we're we have less pinging back and forth off each other. Yeah. I don't it's know fantastic. that we'll, well, I don't know that we'll make a lot of money on ticket sales for that event, Andrew, but um, <laughs> we'll be there. Uh, so uh, speaking of Marnette, Ian, you. Uh, uh, first of all, that was an incredible story. You have so many things from your life that like just interwoven connected to the Caucasus. Um, I love that your advisor did her dissertation in comparative Chechen politics. That's amazing. Jeez. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, you know, I think it was episode, it was episode 40 something or about a uh, Chislik, uh, kind of the, the Shashlik in Southeast South Dakota. Um, just, it just came from German good. settlers from the from the North Caucasus, right? Um, and uh, Marnette was so gracious; she really wanted uh, Eli or myself to attend their Chislik Festival in 2019, and we couldn't make it. But Ian drove from Nebraska to represent us there. Only one um, state away. I mean, that's like yeah. nothing. <laughs> the horror. <laughs> yeah. So, Ian, I think. I think you were one of two caucus talk listeners who flew there or went there. And didn't one of your friends like fly there or something to go to it? Did you? I, you my um, my parents Eli, had I mean. my, my parents had drove, and Eli's friend from Arizona came by yes, and saw my presentation. I had a friend who was who was traveling. He's from Arizona, and he said, "We'll go." And I said, yeah. "Okay, awesome." So, <laughs> so Ian, uh, anyways, you we it's amazing, man. Now, in your experience, you 
you cooked some shashlik for people at the Chislik festival. I did. How right. similar is the taste of the South Dakota Chislik and the Caucasus shashlik? It's not very similar at all. Um, ah. So the, the preparation is similar in terms of having an acid base for marinade, um, but a lot of the traditional chislic is salt and pepper only, um, and some of that in the Caucasus too. Sure. Uh, but there's a big component of having something grilled versus having something fried in lard yeah. or, or butter, and right. the, the texture is much different because the moisture content in the frying gets sucked out of it. That's so nice. you got you got to have a lot of sauce, or at least in my opinion, a lot of sauce. I like them both. I, my day before we had the festival, I went to one of their new um, restaurants that opened up just specifically nailing chislic. So I had like three or four different uh, baskets of their specialty chislic. So a traditional one, one that wasn't a different <laughs> marinade, and another great. one that had like garlic and spices <laughs> and whatnot. Holy and they're good. But I think I still prefer shashlik. Um, and yeah. the owner was talking to me and saying, you know, hey, uh, can you give me a recipe for <laughs> your shashlik stuff? And so I said, yeah, I can do that. Not a so problem. So do you use a marinade for your shashlik when you do it? I do, yes. Um, so my, my buddy's uh, grandmother, um, Rima Kotsov, uh, she is like 80, 84, 85 years old. And mm, can't she's, a, she's a carbidine woman. Um, and she uh, handed down her recipe to me when I inquired based on the marinade so she'll make the marinades and the boys will go out and they'll do the the grilling so i said grandma rima this is really tasty can i please uh know how you made this and so she just wrote down in russian all the ingredients that she uses and it's a very simple marinade it's a uh, mix of um aleppo pepper uh some red pepper black pepper uh salt of course um yep. a vinegar base uh, onions garlic and then she uh has the turkish spice mix which you can buy both in russia and over here so it's got like oregano and, and dried uh, sumac okay, sure. and some other those spices and you cool. just put them together moderate spice mix up in a bag put it overnight and oh, you're golden we're gonna have to take a break Sounds here for golden. some shashlik. i know right i'm Going right over lunchtime during this recording. Are we sh- are we sure we're talking about the right topic with Ian? And right uh, today's. Uh, I know people are like uh, it's, summer. It's readings. a good, it's a good segue for the cookbook uh, oh, that, that I've got. That. So, um, I also was so fascinated in carbidine culture um, that one of the reading lists I highly recommend is um, Fatima Cardinova's Carbidinskaya Kuknia for our English listeners, meaning uh, Carbidine Kitchen. And uh, this book focuses mainly on the culinary traditions of the Carbidine tribe, one of the 12 tribes that make up the Circassian or Adyga nation. Um, yeah. So we've had a couple of Circassian guests on the show um, that Eli and Andrew have interviewed, and um, yeah. their food traditions are fantastic. If you love dumplings, yes. if you love um, food that's got a uh, nicely spiced but not too hot to your palate, Carbidian cuisine is the way to go. Um, mm-hmm. interest, interesting fact for them is because of the location in the middle of the Caucasus and Carbidino Bakaria near the Georgian military highway, they had a lot of trade that went up through north and yeah. south. And so they had access to a lot more of the peppers and spices coming in from uh, the Arabian Sea. Uh-huh. So they got first pick. Uh, so that's why I have Aleppo pepper is quite uh, prevalent in Carbidine um, cuisine. Pepper. If you go to one of the restaurants in Nalchik, they'll have um, Aleppo pepper that's inside a bowl in pepper flakes just sitting there, and people take their hands and just dabble their Aleppo pepper. It's, it's in the, almost every restaurant I've been to in Nalchik. Huh. Fascinating. Uh, so wow. she, uh, she writes in her book uh, several rep- recipes for um, halava, which is a uh, Circassian dumpling, which is stuffed with um, cheese and uh, potatoes, and it's got savory and black pepper salt. 
Uh, oh, she also man. has what they call um, in Carbidian de Libja, which is one of my favorite dishes. Uh, it's and chicken fun dish to and cream sauce. Yeah, it, it's yep. really fun to say. De Libja <laughs> is one of my favorite Carbidian words. Um, de Libja with uh, gent, with the chicken, with the word for chicken in Carbidian, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, so this dish is with sour cream and red pepper as well, and you you slow cook this sucker for about four hours, and it's just delicious. So I so, highly recommend this book for for people who are interested in doing some rudimentary culinary activities. Right. Is this is this cookbook in the English language? It is. It is in both English, Russian, and in Carbadina. Okay, pretty impressive. So the yep the first uh, the first section is in um, Russian, the second section is in Carbadina, then the last is in English. They give you, of course, the uh, metric system. Um, for measurements, so you just get your phone and convert it from your grams to your yeah, ounces. Yeah, make it or feel whatnot. more authentic. If they were using, you know, cups and stuff, it'd be like whatever. Using, using right. the wrong one. Right, That's using the I'm wrong measurements. <laughs> um, and that's got pretty good pictures too of the the dishes, so that way you can kind of see what it should look like um, in terms of garnishes and things. So now, um, we'll, we'll say this up front: we we're gonna have all these linked, right, Andrew? You've yeah, done yeah, your homework, have, right? In we've got uh, Amazon links for everyone. So let's give some context here. Uh, I bet none of you thought the first uh, of Ian's top 10 books on the North Caucasus would be a cookbook. <laughs> I that <didn't>. was awesome. <laughs> Got I love surprised. that variety. So uh, Ian and I actually are, we're a part of a uh, Facebook group together. It's just called Caucasus, but it's a private group. It's primarily, it's for people extremely interested in the Caucasus who speak English. Most of the people in the group uh, are have Caucasus background, but there are others like Ian and myself in it. But Ian is constantly posting pictures of books he's just read about the North Caucasus and kind of giving his review. And Ian, you are definitely the best read person I know in this region. So That's awesome. It's, it's why we've got you here. And I think this is a great resource for our listeners just because, you know, I think Eli and I dabble in a lot kind of on a surfacey level about the Caucasus, but probably some of our listeners want to go deeper on some of the, some of these specific topics. Um, so what we're going to present here is a practical resource for you listeners, top 10 books, must read books on the North Caucasus. So Eli, what's, what's our disclaimer for this list? All right. So our disclaimer for this list, because Andrew (laughs) and I are going to chime in, we've read some stuff. I mean, we definitely, definitely take a curious point of view and are not afraid to read books of all sorts and encourage our listeners to be interested and curious to, even if you get to the end of the book and disagree with everything that was said in it, that's okay. That's part of reading books. So by doing this, we're not endorsing a book. We're not promoting a book or point of view. And you know what? There's going to be things in books that we differ on ourselves. So please don't take this. And when we post it, please don't take this as some kind of flat blanket, you know, political endorsement of anything. It's not, we're curious because we're passionate. So that's, that's our disclaimer. And there's also a lot of material out there and we just can't cover it all in this list, but hopefully this will be a good start for some of you who want to go deeper and learn more about the And Ian, we're just interviewing. He can say anything you want. So Ian, you're free, man. (laughs) All right. So Ian, let's start like, um, it, let's say we're starting like Caucasus 101, kind of basic intro material. Let's say this is like elementary primary school, like getting us started, getting our feet wet. Like where what Eli would be, reads. <laughs> picture, <laughs> pictures, all that good stuff. Right. Uh, Board so, book preferable. <laughs> well, I'd, uh, I'd definitely start on uh, the book that got me really in the Caucasus. I was talking with my advisor about where to go, and so... Um, when I was in, so this would have been my sophomore year of college. And so uh, we're talking about where I want to go, and it's either Amman, Jordan, and or uh, Piatigorsk. And so she says, I'm going to sell you in Russia, and hands you this book 
called Mountain Men and Holy Wars uh, uh. by Nicholas Griffin. Okay. And uh, this is a great introductory book for anybody who's interested in the Caucasus because mm-hmm. it follows uh, Mr. Griffin's uh, journey from Baku, Azerbaijan, northward into Dagestan and Chechnya, following the route that Shamil took during his campaigns during the Caucasus Wars uh. of the 19th century. Um, okay. He uh, essentially does a mix of a travel guide and a mm-hmm. brief history of the region. So he'll go from location to location, so Baku and then the Durbant and to uh, Kasavyurt and to Tumakamshura and all these areas and yeah. uh, lay down what the history was, what the geography is, um, some of the local peoples that are there, and then how it relates to Shamil. Um, this, this sold me uh, to want to go to the, the Caucasus and live in Piatigorsk and then use Piatigorsk as a springboard to see see all the mountainous areas wow. in the region. Oh, wow. um, the particular, so be warned. <laughs> yeah, be warned. Uh, the particular phrase that got me um, was that when he is describing some areas of, of the mountains in Dagestan, specifically on the Andai Kaishu um, River region, uh, mm-hmm. he says that there are, there are sections in the granite which have uh, whale bones that are sticking out of the mountain oh, because yeah. the area used to be underwater and was a sea. Um, around you know a million years ago, so there are fossilized remains of sea creatures that are still sticking out of the rocks. And to wow. me, that was that was so cool. That is wild. Yeah. So yeah, this is um, this is definitely one of those. Like, if you go on Amazon, it has a lot of reviews. It seems like it's a good historical overview of the region. And you just mentioned, I'll piggyback on this. You mentioned Shamil. For those of you who don't immediately recognize who that is. Probably the most famous figure in North Caucasus history. Uh, when uh, Russia was uh, the Russian Caucasus War in the 17th and 18th century, or 18th and 19th century, Imam Shamil was a, an Avar Dagestani religious leader who basically led the resistance against um, Russia. And he is, uh, especially in Dagestan, he is revered. Uh, or who he was. And he was written about in like Russian literature and many historical books have talked about him too. So yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Okay. That's number one. Well, after the cookbook, that's number one. After, after the cookbook, you got it. Food comes first, man. Every time I got the food. So, um, once, uh, once you get your appetite kind of, um, uh, wedded with the uh, mm. uh, book by Nicholas Griffin, um, it's good to read some of the local literature, um, especially from the Russian perspective. So I recommend, um, a Lev and or Leo, depending on how you translate his name, Tolstoy's, uh, books. Um, okay. I particularly picked, uh, Cossacks, the, Penguin Classics translation from Paul Foote, because okay. he has a very decent command of the Russian language, particularly within the 19th century. And uh-huh. um, this particular volume also has not only the Cossacks, but his um, small journals from his uh, encounters during the siege of Sevastopol during mm-hmm. the 1850s, during the Crimean War. And his last uh, part of the book is Haji Marat, which is probably his most famous novel right. that was um, written posthumously in uh, 1910 or 12. Um, so I like the Cossacks because it's a great book that allows you to kind of dip your toes into the water of the Caucasus because it talks right. about the Cossacks. Um, it uses um, f- his own perspectives as a young lieutenant in 1852. Um, living there, but he uses a different name, but essentially he's writing an autobiography of his encounters. 
Um, So he uh, talks about how the Cossacks live, how they dress, um, why they uh, interact with the uh, local Caucasian peoples, their struggle with the local Caucasian peoples, but also more importantly, their commonalities with the local uh, Caucasian peoples and how much they dislike the Russians. Um, was a, was a big thing uh, that both yeah. Cossacks and uh, Caucasian peoples kind of look at the Russians with a very um, uh, cynical, um, combative uh, aura because they're yeah. the interlopers. They're they're interfering with the local life, and especially amongst the Terra Cossacks, which this book talks about, uh, because the Terra Cossacks had a lot of um, historical ties with the Chechens, and especially in uh-huh. lower lower Chechnya, in the area that's near the uh, Terek and Sunja rivers. And um, they had so much in common that they did, there are a lot of uh, cases in history where the Chechens and Cossacks are fighting side by side one another against the Russians as they mm-hmm. jump from side to side. So oh, it's a very interesting, interesting book talking about the, the folk ways and the norms of 19th century Russians coming into a Cossack stanitsa or a village and uh, how they interact with um, the local day-to-day life and affairs of the region. Wow, that was pretty Good thorough. Stuff. And yeah. you said that Haji Murat is, it's in the same volume as the one you held up, right? Correct, yep. It's in this the last uh, section in the, this book. It's uh, okay. t- titled uh, Cossacks and Other Stories. The other and stories being Haji Murat and his uh, journals from Sevastopol. Interesting. Yeah, so that's the Tolstoy, I mean, penguin. most people are familiar with his name and may have read uh, War and Peace. Um, what, what are some of Tolstoy's other? Resurrection was a famous one here. Anna Anna Karenina, Dostoevsky wrote Resurrection. Um, but, uh, yeah, he actually wrote at least five short stories about the North Caucasus, Tolstoy. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, I think that's a great place to start, kind of the Russian literature piece. In uh, Listeners, if you haven't listened uh, to episode 14, this was way back when, but we interviewed one of our uh, Russian literature professors. Yeah. And she gave a really extensive look at the place of the North Caucasus in Russian literature. So Tolstoy, uh, Alexander Pushkin, uh, Lermontov, and several others we had never heard of. So that would be a good springboard to kind of go back to episode 14. Uh, That was our first and almost, I think, last attempt at translating an entire episode. (laughs) That's right. It it worked, and that's that. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, I, I that's kind of, I kind of uh, see this novel um, as the Russian equivalent to the American um, James Fillmore Cooper's novel *Last of the Mohicans* in terms of oh. its its significance wow. in in both cultures. Oh my gosh! Okay, great comparison. Yeah. Okay. In terms of awareness for the larger kind of the larger culture, larger right. Butterfly in the sky. And friends, we are going to pause it right there. This interview is just barely half over, so we're splitting in half. Uh, We got part B coming up in our next release. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to continuing with you next time. Friends to know and ways to grow a reading rainbow. A reading rainbow, a reading rainbow. A reading-